So today we're going to talk about a generosity of spirit because I believe that is part of our story. We turn to some uh, writings to the early church, uh, uh, a letter, well, the second letter to the church in Corinth. These, these were people just like us, but they were the first people trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, not just as me, but to follow Jesus as a group, as a church. So Paul writes to them, it's become known to us as 2 Corinthians. He says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So these were the first people trying to figure out how do you follow Jesus as a group? They had never been in a church building, never been in a sanctuary. They really didn't exist. They'd never sat in a pew, never opened a hymnal. They'd never been to a church committee meeting. They probably had a potluck. We hear some stories of how they would gather after communion and some would share and some wouldn't share. But they were trying, like us, to figure out how do you follow Jesus? What does it mean to be the church? How does that live out? And Paul lifts up these Macedonian churches. I, I, I picture Corinth as sort of the big city church and the Macedonian uh, little country churches. And Paul says that these Macedonian churches, in the middle of a very severe trial, does some of this start to sound familiar to you? When we were the church a year ago without entering the building, without sitting in a pew, without a hymnal, going through a trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Now that doesn't even make sense, does it? How can you have overflowing joy and extreme poverty? Like in our culture, if you're poor, well, you can't be happy. In fact, sometimes the world tells us if you get enough money, you'll be happy. But then we find that that can be a dead-end street. But these Macedonian churches going through a trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. And I believe rich generosity is part of our story over the last year. Because as we start to think maybe we're coming out of this pandemic, or we pray that we're coming out, and we pray that we stay out, what do you do after a great adventure? Or what do you do after a time where everything went wrong? You, you start to tell the stories, don't you? You have those stories in your family, right? About vacations that went awry or stories about uh, meals that didn't turn out or stories about great times together. 
And you probably have your quarantine stories, right? Don't you? What you argued about that seemed really important at the time and now doesn't seem important whatsoever. Your quarantine stories that day when you said, I can't work, teach the kids, make dinner and get everybody ready for bed all at the same time again. The quarantine stories were every day seem to be the same. We have them and we'll have them with us for our life. We'll, we'll tell them. We tell them around our house. Well, we also have a collective quarantine story. And I believe as we, we think we're coming out, we, we've got to get our story right. We've got to get our story right. Sure, it was a wilderness, but I also believe in it was this generosity of spirit. Because this, this business of the church is, is funny. It's a, it's a funny business. Oh, no, no, wait a minute, Pastor Allen. What are you saying, business of the church? We, the church isn't a business. Next thing you know, we'll be talking about money. And that makes everybody uncomfortable. Because we think, you know, church is spiritual, church is prayer, and church is faith, and church is the Bible, and that's spiritual, and that's of God, and money, well, that's, that's over there. That's of the world. But is there any commitment in your life that you make where your money doesn't follow? If you made a commitment to have children, your money wasn't involved, right? Didn't cost you a cent, right? Our youngest daughter recently said to us, and she's a saver, she was telling us how much she had in her savings account. It was thousands of dollars. And we said, wow, man, that's great. And she says, well, when we were growing up, you and mom always had like ten dollars or $20,000 in savings, right? I'm like, what? I said, we didn't have savings. We had kids. <laughs> They're mutually exclusive most of the time. But think about it. If we make a commitment to anything in life, our money flows there. Our money is part of it. If we make a commitment to have kids, if, if we make a commitment to get married, our money is involved. If we make a commitment to buy a house so our family can live comfortably, our money is connected to it. So we can't say that this is spiritual and money isn't. It would be like saying, I love my kids, but my money is mine. We would never say that. So part of this business of the church involves money. Here's the early church. They don't have buildings. They don't have committee meetings. They don't have all this stuff. And they're already talking about money because it's the practicalness of, of the church living in the world. And I've seen some things in the church, experienced some stuff in this business of the church. But the funniest thing I've ever seen happened a year ago but I've seen some things. Early in my career, I had two small country churches and, and one year in the very smallest, the first Sunday we were there, there were 12 people. I, I couldn't even hear them singing. In that small church, two years later, one couple, they both got sick and went to heaven. And the treasurer came to me and said, I have to tell you, Alan, that couple represented over 20% of the giving of the church. And they're in heaven. And I'm like, oh my goodness, one-fifth of our giving, what are we going to do? And the treasurer says, I don't know, I came to tell you. 
So one Sunday in that church, I, I stood up and without naming names, but it didn't really matter because everybody knew everybody. I said, you know, we really lost some significant givers this year, a big portion. And we're all going to have to work together and pitch in. And do you know in that next year, we never missed a beat. I don't know how that works. It doesn't add up. You can't uh, put it on a formula or, or a whiteboard. And, and, and I believe that's the way God wants it. Because if we could figure it out, if we could formulize it, we wouldn't have to trust in God. Years after that, I had a big city church in downtown Johnstown. And Johnstown was hit economically. The church was downtown. No one came downtown anymore. And the church always had money problems. And one year, we just, we weren't going to make it. Like we couldn't pay the last bills. And the treasurer is saying, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. And then in walked to the office a lady, a lady who we had given permission to store her shopping cart behind the church because she went through town going through all of the garbage cans to collect the soda cans and put them in her shopping cart and keep it till she could take it to recycling. And she said, can I put my cart behind the church so nobody steals it or messes with it? And I said, sure, yeah, it's not going to bother anybody. And the uh, parsonage was connected. Cheryl and the girls and I lived right there. And she walked in right at the end of the year with bonds and gave them to the church and they totaled $1,500 and we were $1,500 short. Now we didn't say you can park your cart there and we'll charge you rent so that we can make our budget. No, we said you could park your cart there because that's what Jesus would do. You see, this business of the church isn't like a business that adds up that you can figure, that you can manage. No, because if we could, God wouldn't need to be a part of it. In that same church, I kept telling the treasurer, you know, pastors, one day we're going to have so much money, you won't know what to do with it. Oh, yeah, right. Sure, sure, pastor. Oh, you just wait. One day we're going to have so much money, we won't know what to do with it. Well, one year, I got to tell you, we had so much money, we didn't know what to do with it. And we're like, what happened? You know what happened? One lady in the church started dating a guy that had a lot of money, and he was giving a lot of money. And as long as they were dating, everything was fine. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. You can't plan it. You can't manage. This is the way God works. In another one of my churches, it had a Saturday night service like we do in a small group in a small chapel. And the first time I talked about money, one guy in the back stood up, stormed out. And I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, so after the service, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And the people are like, oh, don't worry. That's just him. Anytime any preacher talks about money, he stands up and storms out. He'll be back. Don't worry about it. I was a little nervous until, yeah, sure enough, he, he came back. And sure enough, if I ever mentioned money again, he stood up and stormed out. And one year he went to heaven and left the church $250,000. And he never looked like he had 250 nickels. You can't figure out this business of the church. It doesn't add up. It's not manageable. You can't program it. But the funniest thing I ever saw was last year when in March we were forced to close. And I didn't know what would happen. Me of little faith thought 
in a month or two, we're going to have a huge deficit. We might have to, you know, lay off all the staff. I, I don't know. Because I'm thinking worldly, you know, if the church isn't meeting, if the church isn't worshiping, if the church isn't passing the offering plate, how is this supposed to work? But you know what happened? When we closed, we went into a surplus. And we stayed in a surplus all of last year. How does that work? Why? Because of God and because of all of you, your generosity of spirit, without even being asked, we seemed to rally that, that, that it was an unprecedented time. We had never seen anything like it. And we love our church and we wanted to make sure our church continued, that it survived. How was our church going to continue? I'm going to give, I'm going to give everybody's lot the same thing. It was a blessing. So that's part of our story. While there's this wilderness part of our story, there's also this generosity of spirit. And then in that same time of what Paul calls a severe trial, we were working with the bank to trying to resolve a mistake in our mortgage. So not only was our church closed and then opened, then closed again, when we opened in the fall, I had to come and talk to you about giving more to the mortgage fund so that we could, we could get out of debt in 10 years. And you also, in a generosity of, experience, of spirit, responded. So where are we now? Well, we're open, so we're back in a deficit. We, <laughs> I don't know. We had a finance meeting this last week and, you know, we're a little wringing of the hands there. And I'm thinking to myself, I guess we're going to have to close again. I don't know. <laughs> now that wouldn't work. You see, you can't program it or plan it or manage it because then we wouldn't need God. It's a funny business, this church business. And in... The story of the early church, it talks about how these small churches rallied and, and a, a rich generosity welled up and they were able to give all that they were able and even to give beyond that ability. And sometimes I think that's, that's our church that we ask you to give and we ask you to give beyond because we're not a church that's just collecting, trying to stay open, just trying to be open on a Sunday. We're, we're, a, ch we're a church that feel God has called us to more and we have a, a campus and facilities and staff and we're, we're trying to do much more for Jesus. So, so we ask you to give to the um, program ministry, your envelope giving that, that takes care of all of our operations, everything we do. And then... At times we ask if you can give beyond your ability to missions. You can give the missions each month and, and that goes to a specific mission each month and it takes the name of Jesus far beyond the walls of our church. And then we ask you to give beyond your ability if you wish to maintenance and improvement, which gives our trustees some funds when there's a major uh, repair or replacement to take care of our facilities. Because our facilities get a lot of use and there's wear and tear on them. And then we ask you, as I did last fall, to give beyond your ability to our mortgage fund so that we can in 10 years be debt free. 
So we have a deficit in our program ministry. I don't know if I can ask again. I don't know how it works, but maybe you're able to give a one-time gift or maybe you have thought about tithing and, and my challenge to you would be maybe to try it for the summer, you know, June, July, and August to, to do some ballpark math and, and try to give 10% and see what that looks like. Can you still pay your bills? Can you still do what you wanna do? Can you still have money for your children or grandchildren? And that's just ballpark math. You know, if like, if you made $50,000 and some of us make more or less, $50,000, you'd give $96 a week to the church. And you may be thinking, oh, wow, that's, that's a lot. But the story in the scripture tells us that this church filled with joy and extreme poverty generosity welled up in it. And that's what I saw in our church last year. And they were able to give to their ability and beyond. How? Because they first of all gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to giving. I don't know how it works. You can't plan it. You can't manage it. You can't program it because it's of God. I recently, if you read my blog this week, turned to a story that for me goes back uh, reading to a, a youth group on a mission trip many, many years ago. But it's, to me, it's one of the best images of the church. It's, it's written by Martin Bell, and it's called God's Ragtag Army. I think God must be very old and very tired. Now, maybe he used to look splendid and fine in his general's uniform, but not no more. He's been on the march a long time, you know. And look at his, his ragtag little army. All he has for soldiers are you and me. Dumb little army, huh? And listen, the drumbeat isn't even regular. Everyone's out of step. And, and, and there, there you see, God keeps stopping along the way to pick up one of his tinier soldiers who's decided to wander off and play with a frog or run in a field or whose foot got tangled in the underbrush. He'll never get anywhere that way. Yet the march goes on. Now, I think if God was more sensible, he'd take this little army and shape them up. Why, who ever heard of a soldier stopping to romp in a field? It's, it's ridiculous. But even more absurd is a general who will stop the march of eternity to go back and bring him back. But that's, that's God for you. His is no endless, empty marching. God is going somewhere. His steps are deliberate and filled with purpose. He may be old and he may be tired, but he knows where he's going. And he means to take every last one of us with him. Only there aren't going to be any forced marches. And after all, there's frogs and flowers and thorns and underbrush along the way. And even though our foreheads have been signed with the sign of the cross, we're only human. And most of us are afraid at times and lonely and would like to hold hands or cry or run away. And, and we don't know where he's going. And we can't seem to trust God fully. 
especially when it's dark out and we can't see him. And he won't go on without us. And that's why it's taking so long. Listen, the drumbeat isn't even regular. And everyone's out of step. And there, there you see, God keeps stopping along the way to pick up one of the tinier soldiers who decided to wander off and play with a frog or run in a field or whose foot got tangled in the underbrush. I tell you, he'll never get anywhere that way. And yet, the march goes on. Amen.